You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Well, good morning. Once again, welcome to Every Nation GTA. My name's Sheila. If we haven't met before, um, it is... Um, I'm about our current series, Pursuing Happiness, where we're um, looking at the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes were the opening statements of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talking and um, preaching and, ha- and the message of the kingdom of God that he spoke to those who were um, following and listening to him in that time. We call that first cha- that first segment of chapter five of the book of Matthew that we're going to read today. We call it the Beatitudes, and Beatitudes simply comes from a Latin word that means blessedness. Our topic today is uh, well, the title is "Happy Are the Sad," and uh, boy, we don't think like that. We think happy are the happy and sad are the sad. But we're going to see that maybe Jesus' kingdom is a little bit inside out and upside down. And and the pursuit of happiness that he has for us looks a little different than what maybe the world would tell us. Last week, Rich put up a great quote, and I think um, it's worth looking at again as we go into part two. Last week, Richard talked about blessed are the poor, happy are the poor. Today, we're going to talk about happy are the sad. And um, here's the quote. Sin, says Ignatius of Loyola, sin is unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. And as we're going to explore in the weeks ahead, God's path to happiness perhaps looks a little different than uh, than what we might imagine. So let's read together Matthew, the fifth chapter, beginning in the first verse. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. I've been thinking a lot about mourning in the in the last few weeks. Uh, this week, Bert and I just returned from Vancouver, where we celebrated the life of our oldest brother-in-law, uh, who passed away late in September. And as we were together with family and friends of family, um, I was thinking about happy are the sad, happy are those who mourn. And I was reminded about how complex mourning and grief is, that there's sorrow and sadness, and sometimes there's regret and remorse and there's pain, the pain of loss, and and mourning and sadness. It's not it's not linear. You just uh, you, we we kind of want it to begin and end and be to the joy and the comfort part, and yet sometimes mourning and grief uh, 
comes in waves and comes unexpectedly and pops up when you least expect it with a loved one. Sometimes it's something you smell or a song you hear or a place that you visit or a sound or a life event that reminds you of that sorrow and sadness, mourning and loss. We'd like to skip by those things and enter straight into the joy and comfort. But what we're going to look at today says it's that going through that place of mourning, that place of sadness is where we get to the comfort and the joy. So happy are the sad. We're going to look at three different things today. We're going to look at our entrance, our treasure, and our promise. Happy are the sad, our entrance, our treasure, and our promise. The Sermon on the Mount, some people say Jesus' favorite subject was the kingdom, his kingdom, life in his kingdom. And uh, when we talk about the Sermon on the Mount and we talk about the Beatitudes, we can break the Beatitudes up like this. It's our entrance into the kingdom of God. Beatitudes 1 through 4 might just be the entering the kingdom. Who enters the kingdom? The poor, those who are mourning, the meek, and the hungry. And Beatitudes 5 through 8 might be what life in the kingdom looks like, that we're merciful and pure and peacemakers and persecuted. Who enters the kingdom? Those who are poor, mourning, meek, and hungry. And what does life in the kingdom look like? Well, there's mercy and purity and peace and, yes, persecution. Last week, Richard talked about the first beatitude. Happy or blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what does that look like? Blessed or happy are the poor in spirit? Well, it's those who acknowledge their spiritual poverty, that they're nothing without God, that we resist and repent of our pride, our self-sufficiency, our independence from God, that we receive the riches of his kingdom, living under the rule and reign of God. Today, happy are the sad builds on that. When we recognize our own spiritual poverty, happy are the sad. To enter God's kingdom, we mourn. Well, what do we mourn? We acknowledge that there's a separation between us and God. We, we, we come to, to realize there is a God, a creator, a supreme being, and we recognize there's a separation between him and us, and that we're poor in spirit. We don't have any way to, um, to secure our own salvation, to, to bridge that gap. And we mourn. We mourn our attempts. We realize there's a separation. We mourn our attempts to live without Jesus. And all of us had our ways and of doing that. Maybe it was our own morality. Maybe we thought we were generous or kind or good people. And all those things are good. Maybe it was our religious practices or the rules, our rule of life that we established that we thought would... Um, would make us a good and a moral person. We mourn our attempts to live without Jesus. And then we repent. We we have that embrace that sorrow and sadness for our sin and 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 sincere regret and remorse and we turn to God. We mourn and we turn to him for that comfort. 
the book of James in the Bible, it actually kind of echoes the Sermon on the Mount. James was the brother of the Lord. And, and you can see lots of parallels throughout the chapters of James on the Sermon on the Mount. And I think James got this, got this, blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted. Here's what James says. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. In other words, the deeds, the things that you've tried to do, you sinners, and purify your hearts, your motivation, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He'll lift you up. Recognize that what you tried to do with your hands and and what you... what was going on in your heart. It wasn't enough. And you mourn those things. You come before God and he'll exalt you. He'll lift you up. Um, Paul kind of got it too. Paul was um, writing to the Corinthians and he said, I said some things in my letter that probably made you grieve, brought you sorrow, made you sad. But it wasn't just any kind of sorrow and sadness. He said it was actually the sorrow and the sadness that brings you to a place of repentance or a change in your life. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So it's through pain and sorrow and that inner affliction and sadness that we enter God's kingdom. That's our entrance, our recognition of how lost we are on our own efforts. When we were um, traveling this week, Bert and I, we went to Vancouver, then we went to Vancouver Island, and I think it was on the ferry coming back from Vancouver Island to the mainland to catch our flight. We were talking about Bert's dad. You know how you do when you're with family members and, you know, all the memories are stirred up and uh, you tell stories and Bert was reminding me of a story that his Uncle Jim, okay, Uncle Jim was kind of like the patriarch in the family. He, um, he died in his 90s, and Uncle Jim was a pastor, and he was kind of the family pastor. And uh, in 1951, in the summer, Uncle Jim was actually preaching at a little Baptist church in Port Alberni, where Bert's family was from. And Bert Sr., my father-in-law, was there. And that night, my father-in-law responded to the word that was preached and asked Jesus to come into his life. And Uncle Jim said something like this. He said, Bert Sr. came with tears, responded to the word of, that was preached, to the word of the kingdom with tears. And Uncle Jim said this, it was the real deal. It was interesting that my father-in-law passed away 60 days, 60, excuse me, 60 years from the day that he made that decision that he recognized his own poverty of spirit, that he mourned, and that he made a decision to put his faith in Christ. My experience and yours might be a little bit different, but here's what it is. We do all come to a place of realizing that we can't bridge that gap between us and God. And we meet Jesus. And what comes from that is comfort. You know, that marked the way my father-in-law lived the rest of his life. It carried him through. We enter his kingdom with mourning, but we come to that place of comfort as we realize that it wasn't by anything that we could do on our own. My father-in-law knew that, but it was by the grace of the Lord Jesus that we, we can come and come into that place, that we can enter his kingdom. 
Well, how about our treasure? So mourning is our entrance into the kingdom, but mourning also helps us discover our treasure. Uh, the Phillips translation of the New Testament says this, how happy are those who know what sorrow means for they will be given courage and comfort. How happy are those who know what sorrow means. Sometimes the weight of sorrow and sadness is just that to us. It's a weight. And yet, many times, if we can look beneath the sorrow and sadness, it actually points to something. You know, mourning can help me identify what's important in my life. What are the true treasures in my heart? In 2020 and 2021, we've had lots of loss. We've done, um, as individuals and nationally and globally, we've done our share, more than our share of mourning. And we've had a lot of sadness and we've lost a lot of things. And we've had times of grieving and lamenting. And yet those, that grieving and lamenting has revealed some things to each one of us. Oh, I know some of what it revealed to me was things that maybe were too important to me. But you know, the other thing that it revealed to me were some of the things of true importance to me. It helped me to identify, it, and it's still helping me identify and prioritize what is important in my life. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you, is what the message says. Do you feel like you've lost some things that are dear to you this year? You've, you're blessed when you realize, when you understand that you've lost what's most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. So our mourning and, our, and, and that place of mourning, it's our entrance into the kingdom, but it also shows us, it helps us to see what is and isn't important in our life. And it helps us, points us and makes us go in that direction towards those things of importance. Um, Viktor Frankl, from, um, Holocaust survivor, said this, life is never made unbearable by circumstances, but only by lack of meaning and purpose. And mourning helps us see what has meaning in our life and what has purpose. I realized as I was thinking about this, this one beatitude that I grew up with some pretty twisted ideas about um, loss and sorrow and mourning. I don't know what your household, but here's what mine was like. If, um, if you if you do good, then you'll have a good life. Bad things only happen to people who do bad things. If my life is turning out well, I must have done good. If my children are turning out uh, well, I must be a great parent. If my career, ah, cause and effect, and it's all on me. This week, um, Canada Post released a new stamp, and it was a stamp commemorating the life of Christopher Plummer, a British-born Canadian actor, famous for lots of things. Google him if you don't know who he is. But one of the things he was famous for was uh, a well-loved in our family, well in the women in our family, um, musical, The Sound of Music. 
But, you know, not everything you sing in a musical is really probably the gospel truth. So Christopher Plummer is out, and, and there's the moment when he and Julie Andrews realize they love one another, and they're dancing out in the gazebo, and they sing this song to one another. Nothing. Here you are, for here you are, standing there loving me, whether or not you should. So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. Nothing comes from nothing. Nothing ever could. So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. Do you hear it? That to have good in your life is dependent on you doing and being good. So if there's something wrong, then you must have done something wrong. It sounds a little bit like Job's friends. Remember Job in the Old Testament? His friends were trying to dig into his life and, and say, well, these things, if they're happening to you, what have you done wrong? And after chapter after chapter, they, they poke and they prod and they say, no, 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 no. If you were good, only good things would happen to you. And, if, and, uh, and so if bad things are happening to you, tell us, tell us what you've done wrong, that God would turn against you. And it took completely out of context, the context of the world we live in. You know, here we always talk about the four-chapter gospel, a really good way to look at the overall narrative of the Bible. We talk about the world being created perfect, and we talk about the fact that um, that the fall came, and we all fell under the, the, the weight and the power of sin, and we made choices contrary to what God would have for us. And we couldn't, and even if we mourned, there was no way to make that journey back to God. And then we talk about redemption. When Jesus came into the world and he lived the life that we should have, but couldn't live, and he died that perfect death, and he took upon himself the sins of the world. And that one day, that for the fourth chapter, sometimes we call it restoration or consummation, but, you know, I also like to think of it as the future hope that one day all things will be made right. And when we live under that, um, that misconception that if good happened to me, nothing comes from nothing, nothing ever could, I must have done something good. If we live under that weight, we look at others and we look at ourselves and it's a heavy weight to bear in it and we turn inward and it wasn't ever meant to be. We were to live in that place where we could look at the brokenness and the evil in the world and realize that one had come, one has come to redeem us. And we're living in a kingdom, his kingdom, where we get to taste some of that. And we're talking about the kingdom as we, as we talk about this path, this pursuit of happiness. We get little tastes of what the kingdom of God is like and what it will be like, but we won't see the full thing until one day we see him face to face, until he restores the heavens and the earth as they were meant to be. And we can breathe a, de a deep breath because the one who is our comforter says, mourn and look at what you've done and look at what you continue to do and cleanse your hands and cleanse your heart. But know that I'm the one who comes in and who's bridged that gap and I'm the comforter for you. So Jesus is our entrance. Mourning is our entrance into the kingdom of God. And mourning is the path to comfort and joy. 
And mourning helps us to understand what's important in life and dig through some of the places where we just think incorrectly the weight of um, of goodness within ourselves that we've tried to bridge the gap between us and God. And finally, our promise. So, mourning brings us into the kingdom, shows us what's, what's important, helps us dig through the stuff in our heart, but it's also our promise. It's our promise that as we take this path, as we pursue happiness, as Jesus laid it out for us, as he wants, what is it he wants his kingdom to look like? And it's an entry through embracing that mourning, that the inability we have to uh, come to God on our own terms. You know, our promise, we want to skip ahead. Um, we want to skip ahead to just the joy part and the comfort. And yet the path that Jesus has in his kingdom is a path that says you have to go through this. You have to go through the, the sorrow and the sadness. You have to realize that there's loss and brokenness in your life and in the world. And uh, you have to remember that there is no comfort without mourning. And there's no true joy without mourning. So Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, she wrote the, the most famous book on this. Um, people say the stages of grief, but they're not really stages A, B, C, D. But they're the things that we experience when we go through grief. And she said this, I've learned that there is no joy without hardship. There is no pleasure without pain. Would you know the comfort of peace without the distress of war? You know, I can't fully understand joy if I don't, if I've never felt pain. And I can't fully know what it's like to be comforted if I haven't had loss. But it's in that place of mourning and grief and sorrow and loss that when Jesus enters into our life, because comfort isn't just a thing, comfort's actually a person. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus' presence in the world today through his spirit. Comfort's just not a thing, but it's a, the person of the spirit invading and coming into our life and bringing that hope, that future hope, and bringing us to a place of joy, not in our circumstances, because sometimes they're not very joyful. Sometimes uh, life and the burdens that we bury, bear, yeah, I wish we could just bury them, right? And the burdens that we bear, sometimes the weightiness of that, it's hard to see joy and it's hard to see happiness in that. And you know, I don't know about you, but Every once in a while, I just want to write down all the things I feel like I've just been lost from my life. And, and it's hard to have that hope in 2021 that um, to hold on to that hope that there, that things are in, in our current circumstances are going to get better. But we can remember this, that those in God's kingdom who mourn and who have that sadness and soreness that in the pursuit of happiness, it's okay it's okay to embrace the pain because through that pain and through that sorrow and loss, it's actually the way we know and we understand comfort and joy. What did Jesus say? He said, you know, in the world, 
you're going to have trouble. I think almost the whole chapter of John 16 talks about sorrow and joy. Um, and he's talking about his departure from the earth. And he says, you're going to know sorrow. Um, you're going to weep. You're going to lament. You'll be sorrowful. But your sorrow will be turned into joy. And he says it's like... Um, it's like a woman giving birth. I've done that four times, so I, I can kind of relate to it. Um, that the woman giving birth knows sorrow. And hey, in his day and age, women giving birth, a lot of them lost their very life to bring a new life into the world. So when he talks about a woman knowing sorrow, I feel like I knew pain, but I don't know about that sorrow part. But he says she knows sorrow and pain until she holds that new life in her hands. And then Jesus went on and he said, I've said these things to you that you can have peace. Again, the contradictory nature of his kingdom. He said, you're going to have a lot of trouble and I'm telling you this so you can have peace. Not so that all your trouble and tribulation and trials will go away, but so that you can have peace in him, a different kind of peace than what the world offers. I've said these things to you, that in me you can have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. You're going to have troubles. You're going to have trials. But take heart. Or the King James says, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Be happy. I have overcome the world. And so our promise, our promise of comfort, there is no comfort without pain. There is no joy without mourning. Psalm 30 says this, you have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Now, Psalm 30 first said, you brought me up from Sheol or hell and I pled for mercy but the, con the consequence, the uh, conclusion of this, but you've turned my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. Jeremiah said this, then shall the young women rejoice in the dance and young men and old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. This is the promise of the journey of sadness and, more, and mourning to happiness. That God will turn our mourning into gladness and joy. Finally, a bit of a benediction here from from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Here's what Paul wrote. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction. Get that? Follow that? The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy, he just doesn't dab a little more. He's actually the father of mercy. He doesn't just dab a little bit here and there, but it's very, the, the very nature, his very being is one of mercy. And he is the God of all comfort, all comfort, not just a little bit, but all comfort, all true comfort comes to him through us, comes to us through him. Let's get that right. Who comforts us in our affliction. Why? Well, for a lot of reasons, but here's one. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. 
for this, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, is through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. The God of all mercies, the God of all comfort, the one who comforts us in our affliction, brings comfort to us. May we share in his sufferings that we can abundantly share in his comfort too. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.